brought to you almost live from the dude in the basement studios. Why? Because that's where the good stuff is. It sips, suds, and smokes with your smoking host, the good old boys. It's sippin' time. Welcome to the Sips episode, where everything good in life is worth discussing. We are the best thing on at 2 a.m. And I'm your host here, good old boy Mike. Our sip segments are all about wine, distilled spirits, tea, and coffee. This is the Big Podcast version 2 episode recorded at the Bourbon Classic 2018. Some of your favorite media outlets are on this episode with lots of old and new friends of Sip, Suds, and Smokes. Be sure to check out the links on the episode notes to these media outlets. Now, here's your host, Bill, from Modern Thirst. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Big Podcast. This is the second iteration of the Big Podcast, and we are here at the Kentucky Center for the Performing Arts on uh, the weekend of the Bourbon Classic. I want to let everyone who's with us introduce ourselves today, so I'll start with myself. I'm Bill Straub. I'm one of the founders and the editor of ModernThirst.com. Matt Gates here with uh, Modern Thirst as well, another founder. Um, Bill does all the good writing and reviewing for our site. Wes Shelley from Modern Thirst. I'm the World Whiskey's writer. And I'm Patrick Garrett, our pops from Bourbon and Banter. Good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes. And I am Jenny Tonic from the Charlie Tonic Hour. I'm Carrie Ann Fuller. I'm straight up 615. Dan Gardner, Four Roses Distillery. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to us today. Um, we also, we've had, a, we've had a fun weekend so far, but we want to give some thanks to Dan Gardner of Four Roses, who's here with us today. He's, he's been a member of the quote-unquote bus club for several years, and he's been a great supporter of ours and, and all of our different sites and endeavors that we've done. So thank you very much, Dan. Um, also, awesome. I want to thank Mike, good old boy Mike, for doing all of the technical setup on this and bringing the entire rig, because this is not a small feat. So thanks, Mike. You're welcome. Why is there Malort in my glass? <laughs> <laughs> we were really hoping you wouldn't notice. Hashtag Malort. So you're saying all the chug rules that I talked about in advance, this is my retribution? Is that how this works? Oh, my lord. Uh, so for those of you who haven't heard us in a while, the big podcast is a kind of a collection of a lot of different people who have a lot of different kinds of social media presences and different bourbon preferences, uh, not preferences, social media <laughs> outlets. Um, we have been Good drinking. Good morning. Um, this started three years ago at the Bourbon Classic, really. Uh, a number of us, uh, and the group who were, who's involved has changed over the years, but a number of us were on one of the official media tours of, of the Bourbon Classic. So we went around for, I think that was almost a week long that first time. Uh, we went around to all sorts of different distilleries and bourbon outlets, and we really formed some good bonds, and it was very fun. It was a great week, great weekend, and we just kind of decided over the years to keep it up. So that first year, we recorded a big podcast. And nobody was arrested. Nobody was <laughs> indicted. I, that we know of. I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> that we know of. 
Um, but uh, you know, some people have not been able to make it back since then. Some people, we do have some returnees, and, and it's the, the overall cast has changed. But that first year we met here at the Center for the Arts, we were up on one of the balconies or, or whatever you call it, the second level of the Center for the Arts here in Louisville. Um, and we recorded a podcast and we just kind of recapped everything we did. You can probably find that on everyone's different podcast outlets. You can find it on Modern Thirst as well. Very much so. Um, but it was a great time um, and it was, it was very well liked by, by our listeners, meager as they may be compared to a lot of other folks on here. Um, but we've kind of continued that. So every year, this, some of the same group, when we add people and some people fall off due to different commitments, uh, we get back together for the same weekend every year and, and we organize our own different bus trips or whatever you want to call it. Bus. Bus. And we, <laughs> we visit different distilleries and we visited Cooperages, um, anything related to bourbon that we think is fun, interesting, and, and, and exciting. And we just try to have a pretty good time with it. And then we all just have kind of become friends and we hang out at the Bourbon Classic. So that is the big podcast. Um, so for the week to date, we have we have we have a lot of people here who've kind of been together since roughly Wednesday night, and some people who have joined us today or, or yesterday. Um, so kind of generally, what we've what we've done this week, we, we've had a lot of fun. So starting out on Thursday morning, we started at Lux Row Distillers in Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, Lux Row's not open to the public yet, but they are distilling, and it is Luxco. If you're not familiar with them, they own Rebel Yell, um, just all sorts of. of Older ones, I've suddenly forgotten all of them. Ezra, Ezra Brooks. Ezra Brooks. Yeah. Um, David Nicholson. Nicholson. David Nicholson. They, they're a, they have traditionally been a bottler out of St. Louis, Missouri. They've been in this game since the 1950s. Uh, but they've finally built uh, their own distillery, and it will be open to the public soon. And a major brand that we got to try while we were there was Blood Oath. And Blood Oath. Uh, we'll talk about uh, both uh, Pack 3 and 4 as well. A- exactly. Um, so what did you guys think of the distillery? I, and I know, you know, you, at some point, at some level, you see a distillery and you've seen the distilleries. But uh, it looks like fermenters. It looks like a still. Indeed it does. <laughs> but Indeed the visitor center is really well done. Yeah. They, they did a great job of that. Uh, we, I said it was similar to the um, Breckenridge distillery I was at. Because they have a great, uh, great bar there in tasting center but it's really well done and they really focused on the family aspect of their business and i i, I thought it was cool yeah so uh, uh good old boy bob and i got to uh, drop by uh Luxro on a hip waiter tour <laughs> last last fall and uh, it was just a mud pit uh that we were walking around most of the time but uh, most of the equipment was in place, and so one of the there were two uh, really great moments to see the point of transition. One, it's a fully functional distillery that had been running Indeed. for about six weeks, and uh, it was it was really great to see that the visitor center area. It's probably one of the more impressive ones in the area. I really liked it a lot. Uh, they were already hanging merchandise in the in the visitor center too, so it is like I mean it's going to open like any moment. Like. I think April it's tomorrow. Yeah. April. Gorgeous piece Four of property. Nine. That's I mean, that's what impressed really me. The, just the setting as you drive in the old house. Uh, it's what built in right around eighteen hundred. So it's beautiful setting. I, I, I was very impressed with it. And I I don't know who else is. I, I was there for the groundbreaking, and then once over this probably within a couple of weeks of when Mike was there. Um, but we came in the back entrance today because we were on kind of a big bus. Uh, but the front entrance to it, the only thing that rivals it is Woodford Reserve. It is a gorgeous single lane drive up. It meanders in some trees, some fences in the farmland. It's beautiful. Um, and they, they really, I mean, again, like you said, the property they picked, they could not have found something better. And they're in the bourbon capital of the world in Bardstown. So. 
Well, uh, a couple of important uh, transition points for Luxro is if you weren't unfamiliar with their products, they have been uh, contract distilling for some time. And this is actually their ability of actually running on their own gear for most of their products, not all of them. Um, so it's a, it's a really great moment for, uh, for that company and to be kind of masters of their own brands uh, as well. So I could tell the sense of pride and pop and John's, uh, you know, step in a pep in a step, you know, to say, I made that, you know, because yeah. uh, we all got to taste the dissolute that was coming off. Amazing, wasn't it, Dan? We were, we were I, 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 I'm not a great judge, but I really liked it. I've tasted ours a lot, of course, but uh, that was very, very smooth. And if it doesn't taste like kerosene, it's, you know, distillate 138 proof, you're doing something. If it's coming off the still that good, it's going to come out of the barrel four, five, six years later, whatever. Very, very good. Are we going to get to the burn wood? I want to get to the part where we talk about all the burn wood. Can we get to the part where we talked about burn wood? Let's talk about burn wood. Yeah. I think Mike Burns. wants to talk about burn wood. Uh, I'll always love uh, visiting Cooperages, and we went to uh, Kelvin, uh, which is a major uh, Cooperage here in the Louisville area. And uh, the first thing that caught us, uh, caught me off guard, I've been there previously, but we actually met in the front office, and I didn't know who all their customers were. And they had all of the products that were kind of laid out, you know, on a table, you know, talking a little bit about uh, who the customers were. So it was it was really cool to kind of connect barrel with product, um, which I knew some of them. But when you see all those brands in front of you, so. And, and to be fair, they don't. Um, I, I've known Paul McLaughlin for a while and uh, from Kelvin Cooperage. And a lot of those they just have worked with once or twice. They have a lot of Jim Beam bottles and they don't do anything for Jim Beam currently, but that I know of um, but they're not that big of, of, of a cooperage yeah and when you visit it it's really cool because everything's done by like five guys doing it by hand they have the big machines but somebody's got to lift the barrel up yeah, and put it in there with the staves foreman. there is no jet of natural gas flames <laughs> charring these things they literally have four dudes throwing their their excess oak shavings into a fire and then shoveling them inside a barrel to char them and they stand there and they look and it's by sight smell and feel that they say this is the char we're looking for and they pull the barrel off wow. and they that only do six at a time after seeing the huge ones like brown foreman and how different and how hands-on these guys didn't have yeah, they the, had hammers they didn't yeah, have machines right. it well, was and the one thing I did as we were walking around is I did a finger count, and everybody had 10 fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and for the Scotch rider in the group, it was uh, fascinating seeing the barrels coming in from the, the local distillers in Louisville and what they're doing to prepare them to go to Scotland, and also the sherry butts that are sitting in there that are being brought back from Europe to uh, age and finish some of the whiskeys in the, in, in the U.S. Um, our next stop was Bernheim yes, Distillery, yes, yes. which is Heaven Hill's main distillery in West Louisville. Now, I'd never been there before. I'm, a, I, I'm an unabashed Heaven Hill fanboy. I like their stuff. It's, it's very low cost, and it tastes very good, and I don't know how you could fault them for that. But I'd always wanted to see where it's made. And Bernheim Distillery is not a, a, it's not what you think of when you think of the Kentucky distilleries. There's no scenic drive-in. There aren't any yeah. horses. There's no yeah. nice stone walls. It is a factory. It is a bourbon factory. It is factory. the nice largest wood. Nice wood fence negative. facility. <laughs> the size Barbed wire fence, of that check. operation <laughs> and bullet is mind-boggling. <laughs> they wow. have 64, three 64-inch column stills. Seriously, uh, I, you know, walk through... Uh, hundreds of distillery and brewery tours and 
to see uh, three column stills that are you know five feet across uh, in one room was just uh, incredible. Yeah, so we're all sitting around sipping on some uh, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. This is batch C nine one seven. Um, last time we had some Elmer T. Lee brought by the folks at Bottom of the Barrel Bourbon who are not with us this year. And Bill wanted to get rid of this bottle and I think mission, mission accomplished. accomplished. Thank you. And we took this as a challenge. We succeeded. Um, we will be dipping into secondary stocks shortly. If we're Actually, I see that we already have. <laughs> um, so we just finished talking about uh, Heaven Hills Bernheim facility. And the next stop on our tour actually happened to be Angel's Envy. And this was yet another one I hadn't seen before. It's a, it's a very new facility, and it is very clean. They made sure that we knew that. Shiny. I'd like Shiny. to point out Bill's the only one among us that lives in Louisville. Well, I also have young children, so Only? I don't get to have fun Sorry. at all. Um, well, uh, a two He's for, afraid they would make him clean it if he, yeah, if so he went there too often. A twofer that was going on with visiting uh, Angel's Envy. So, one, most of us had never been there. And this is the first time that I got to chat with Wes or Kyle since uh, the buyout with Bacardi. And so it was kind of really cool to see both the context of the conversation about their operation, relationship, you know, with Bacardi as well as seeing that uh, facility that is in downtown Louisville as well. Is this the point we sell out, Kyle? Uh, no, uh, that comes in about 10 minutes. We were joking with Kyle, and, yeah. and he said some things that were funny but incomplete jests, so yes. we won't sell them out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Kyle we're speaking of is Kyle Henderson. Uh, his uh, grandfather, Lincoln Henderson, and his father, Wes, were the founders of Angel's Envy. And uh, again... I don't think many of us had anyone been there before. No. Uh, I've been there before, Pops but I wasn't with you yesterday. So, so you, we can all talk about it. Um, beautiful facility right in downtown Louisville, right across was the street from Slugger Pops? Field. Um, against the Grain. And yeah, it, which is yes, Against exactly Grain right. Brewery, which we love here in Louisville. Um, and if you've, uh, if you've never been there, um, it is a great tourist stop, and the location is great for it. What the location isn't great for is actually making whiskey. Um, <laughs> It's it's well, it's on Main Street, which means that getting semi trucks in and out of that is not easy. Because I don't know about any place else. Louisville's not the biggest city in the world. It's not the smallest, but we do have what they call traffic, and um, we um, we we saw the kind of the, the way that it works. They're squeezed for space in the storage areas. The, the tourist areas are great, but we went back where they were actually storing the barrels, and you could barely they could, they couldn't have squeezed many There's more. There's nowhere there. to go but up. Yeah, so. Everyone around this table has been to many distilleries, and I think we can all agree that uh, if you're in downtown Louisville, you should stop in. It's a beautiful, beautiful facility in, in, in the cleanest distillery you will probably ever go into. And we had a great tour. Uh, Kyle, was, Kyle was really good. He, he knew his stuff. Uh, you know, he's hands-on there at this, the distillery. Um, it's very interesting seeing that versus some of the older distilleries that require a much larger um, force of people to maintain on a daily basis. They were talking about a handful of people doing the operations because computers control a lot of it. Um, it is about as modern as it gets. Maybe Peerless might be the only one that's more automated. That's the one where you basically yeah. push a button and then walk away and come back a day later and you've yeah. got two-year-old bourbon. Peerless is the <laughs> Keurig of the craft bourbon. <laughs> I've never heard that put before, but that is the, the best yes, yes. description I've ever heard of Peerless. Uh, Kyle said the uh, cleanest uh, distillery you ever walk into, and absolutely, oh my God, you Pristine. could you could have probably had eggs off the floor, and they would have, you know, been gorgeous. I mean, it was just uh, it was so sp sp spick and span. I was like, what? 
uh, is, are, are these all props? Because I don't yeah. even know how you're... It was to the point that under one of their fermenters, there was a puddle the size of my cell phone, and I noticed it. Because everything <gasps> else was spick and span, shiny clean, and there was one little puddle where they, I guess they something had dripped. And, and you wondered if they would shut down to clean it. Yeah. It, it, I think it was beautiful. Matt that was dripping. I was about to say, that was actually the mash that, you know, Matt probably spilled all over you. <laughs> so then... Good stuff. Uh, so that was kind of the last of the stuff we did as the bus club, and we, we moved on from that. So that was yesterday, which was Friday. The first actually official event of the uh, Bourbon Classic was Friday night, and that is the Culinary and Cocktail Competition. This is the first year they had moved locations. So the main event is always at the Kentucky Center for the Performing Arts, which is where they'd always had this competition. Last year they moved it to, this year, they moved it to Glassworks. Just a couple blocks away, it's it's uh, it's a very popular like kind of wedding facility here in Louisville. You have a lot of wedding receptions and things like that mm-hmm. there. Um, what did everybody think about it? My my main opinion is I would have preferred it remained where it had been in the past. Ditto. Did not like the venue. My main opinion is don't wear a sweater and a sports coat. It was a thousand <laughs> degrees. There I mean, were there were five times too many people in that room. I don't know if they were actually room. firing glass in there. Yeah, somewhere. it does say foundry in the name of the location, so maybe we should have expected that. Here, we're gonna do something really quick over here. That uh, Jenny, you and I are gonna play rock paper scissors. <laughs> see who says cotton candy first. Ready? One, two, three. I don't know what that just happened. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, what is, what is three candy? fingers? What? Yeah, no. Oh, <laughs> That's oh, a the weird co- scissors. The cocktail that made that impressed me last there night. Yes. See. Yes, that was it. The. Uh, the chinar infused cotton candy oh, with, yeah, that was a, clipped to the side of the cocktail that you, yeah. you used as a chaser. That, I thought that was very creative. Most and impressive and garnish I think I've seen in a long time. Yeah. As a chaser, fun. I ate it first. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my favorite cocktail of the night was actually someone who wasn't even in the competition. It was the, uh, the jalapeno one over by the entrance. E.H. Taylor? E.H. Yeah. Taylor. Yeah, yeah, Taylor. E.H. Taylor. Small yeah. batch. Um, I, again, I, anything that hot and spicy, I'll, I'll, if you give me a hot and spicy competition, food eating, I'll try it. For so, me, uh, both uh, Blanton's were outstanding. Both the uh, yeah, Volare did a great job with the food with that too. They were they were really on. By far, my favorite Italian restaurant in Louisville, um, Volare, and uh, they did a fantastic job with the food. D- like, does any anybody know who won? Uh, the Remus actually won. Wow! The so this was a layered drink of Ziffendale that was floated on top of a yeah, citrus infused uh, New York sour. Yeah, it was original. York, I thought it was yeah. okay. Uh, it was one of my top. Third, but I would not have put it in my top two or three. Pops, which one do you like? I don't remember anything about the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> or care. food. The, the, the now, the food, I, I have to say, from the food perspective, I, I think uh, the deviled eggs that got rolled that out fantastic. the second half were just... Oh, I missed yeah, those. What about the mushroom fatigue? Did anyone have that? The I mushroom, the mushroom and ham. I like oh. the short rib on squash. That was really I agree good. With that. Yeah. yeah, and... Uh, Carrie Ann and I were talking. I think our favorite yeah. thing was absolutely the bread pudding at Four Roses. My oh, favorite uh, pairing of the night was the Four was Roses um, bread pudding, pudding with the cocktail yeah. that they did. I Everything actually, else, I'm not on the pairing fan. On the pairing, because I thought that it wasn't sweet enough to hand up hand, to stand up to the bitterness of the cocktail. Mm. And I, if I drank the two and I took a bite, took a drink, took a bite, took a drink, I could not taste the bread pudding. Just couldn't taste it. The bitterness just overwhelmed mm. it. I wasn't that I'm technical. I'm clearly in the minority, it. so everyone <laughs> no, else discussed no, it. No, I was glad that that bread pudding was not 
sweet though. It was a yeah. nice savory, like, sweet. I thought both the 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 dish and the cocktail were fantastic. I didn't think they were the best match. That that's just my opinion, and, and I'm not the cocktail guy. So it's just again, obviously wrong. Well, <laughs> let's uh, listen to the, all of you guys yes. who know what you're the talking mushroom. about with cocktails. Please the mushroom pate with the ham and just the flavors that came across in that. I took a picture, sent it to my wife, and said, could you make this? <laughs> what, was uh, the, sure what was thing. the soup from the first ones that was so good? Oh, it was the gumbo. It was a chicken gumbo. gumbo yeah. Oh, my goodness, that was amazing. That was good. I didn't actually get to try it, but I think the impressiveness of just going out and saying, I'm going to do this. The, the 21C restaurant did a, like a foie gras and sherry lollipop for their yeah. contemporary yeah, dish. That. It was really that good. Was good. That was good. That was unique. I, you, you could start any sentence with foie gras. I don't really care whatever comes after that. You could just say <laughs> anything else. It's, you had me a foie is gras. Is foie gras better than three gras? Probably. <laughs> Hang on a second. Let me turn your mic off. Uh, well, you know, uh, Jenny and I always think about food pairings quite a bit on a lot of our shows. I mean, I, what did you think about, you know, kind of the food pairings themselves? We kind of talked about some of the individual dishes. I don't know if there was anything that I had that I thought, oh, these two things these in really particular, together, yeah. like, bring up the level of both. Yeah. Um, I thought I had some really good food. I had some really good drinks, but I didn't really have anything that I thought, oh, these two need to go together in particular. But. And in the setting where you're holding everything and standing up and trying to eat with two hands and holding a drink, you're not really, evidently Bill found a way to eat and drink and It's the three-finger method. But, I mean, it's just a little <laughs> difficult to innovation. get the full Was that effect a of, pairing, of pairings. <laughs> Make cocktails great again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's not go there. Well, and I, I think a lot of us have recalled, you know, how that's been done at a lot of the, you know, past years. And I think the thing that struck me about this year is, one, it seemed like a dwarfed version of this. and Fewer teams, right? Uh, yeah, I think a lot fewer. fewer teams. And I thought the, the quality of what was being done in terms of actually looking, because it is a pairing event. It's not who makes the best drink and who makes the best food. They're looking at... You know, kind of a pairing activity. They collaborate. I don't know. I, I don't. I just something got lost between the bartenders and the chefs somewhere along the way that it just it didn't seem to kind of come together. There really were well. a lot of them that I thought probably had never met before they actually set up the tables. I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I think bourbon cocktails are very difficult to pair with. Period. I. It's a. I it's a very difficult. You know. Uh, base liquor to try and stand up with enough food. That's why I like the squash and the and the short rib. I thought that stood up to the bourbon well. I, I think you need a bold food to pair with a bourbon cocktail because in order to make a cocktail with bourbon, it needs to be really on the bitter side or really on the sweet side because otherwise all you're going to taste is that bourbon, that corn. And, you know, there were so many really delicate, like, nice, sweet nice plates and I was kind of like someone has never tried to pair with bourbon before because bourbon needs bold food it either needs to be spicy or sweet or something you need to to match the sweetness or offset it you don't do that with delicate and and yeah, there was some great food there. There was some sort of short rib situation, and I just wanted whiskey. I didn't want a cocktail with it. I just wanted. No I agree. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the problem that we all run into with this event. Uh, is that it's not it's not really a a the cocktail night is not necessarily the whiskey lovers night. It's the yeah, yeah. that's the foodies. Night. It's the foodie food night. night yeah. yeah, really, you could you could remove the cocktails and just have pours of bourbon and everyone will be just yes. as happy at the end of the night. That's what we're doing tonight though. For someone who's not from Louisville though and we haven't mentioned this, the, the table and I don't know the chef, but the table that had the Blanton's, the the beef uh, and 
Bourbignon. Bourbignon. I went back three times. I thought that one was delicious. <laughs> I'm with you. you. It was, well, it was delicious. Was, asked, asked for a to-go box. It was, and that yes. was, it was not mine. appropriate. <laughs> it was from. It was my favorite of the night that by was, far. Uh, they, so they switch. They do the the classic pairing and then the contemporary pairing. And I remember Larry last night saying, "Like I did not realize that they were going to switch." And he had like <laughs> he loaded up Larry, Larry from the, the Bourbon Guys round. is not with us today. Uh, but uh, the uh, the word of the day was, "I did not know there was a second round." <laughs> Who did not tell me? Why did you not tell me? There no, was a Larry would round. say the word of the he day is duck fat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some of us went home and went to bed, and some. Of us did not, and those who didn't got the opportunity at Milkwood last night to have a duck fat cocktail that was that out was, of this world. That was amazing. That was a that was the best cocktail I it had of the night. It was a good cocktail. Yeah. Wine behind the bar at Milkwood. You ever is had go a in places. Have you ever had a duck fat cocktail? I have not. It yeah, was a well, duck fat infused gin. 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 Yeah. yeah. Oh, gin. Yeah. Milkwood being the uh, one, the second restaurant opened by celebrity chef Edward Lee of Louisville. Hmm. He's got himself a fine bartender. Yeah, she did a great job. The the, the guy behind the bar who made the that I think y'all were talking about two different people. So that's <laughs> but, but some of us couldn't join that because we we're well, trying to get others home. You know, yeah. Juan. 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 So uh, Juan was great, and then the yeah makeup tips with the with the other bartender that was great. So so today is Saturday, which is the main event for the Bourbon Classic. Um, so we start out with Bourbon University in, in the mid afternoon, I guess you would call it. Um, what's everyone looking forward to? What sessions are you guys looking at before we get to the the, the main event? The Bourbon and Ham pairing. Yeah. I'm with you on that it's one. It's always the one. That does, it, yeah. Those we're saying we have, you have to get there early for to get into that one. That one fills up well, every year. It's ham yeah, and, so and chocolate this ham, year. Ham, right? chocolate, and bourbon pairings. Steve Coombs is in on that panel. Um, some of the other panels. Mm-hmm. Which one is Marianne Barnes on this year? She's doing um, the craft panel. There is a craft panel. And I am I like actually looking one, yeah. forward to that one. I think that's the That'll one I'll probably exciting. go to. Uh, I like the uh, the panel with uh, Fred No, uh, <laughs> and I think it's mm-hmm. Pam and Pam from Michter's, Fred and who's the third person? I forgot. We just said, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was the one I was. We're all was, very well prepared, in yeah. case you're wondering. Ta-da. So is Fred uh, moderating? Fred Minnick? No. no, he's no. on a panel though. He's um, on the general session yeah. panel with. Yeah. Um, I don't some think other they're journalists. doing the Bourbon Masters this year, right? No. <clears throat> yeah. The closest to it is the little seminar with Fred No and. Someone else that we really like. You know the the one thing I really love about this event, we uh, this crew really goes to a ton of festivals. I mean, we've seen each other probably five, six times, you know, a year. And the one thing that I know that we really enjoy about this particular event is really getting to see the people. I don't know so much that you know these particular events that we've talked about are really kind of the the showpieces. I really think this is a, a borderline trade tasting because of the number of, of people that really come out for this event, a lot of good media representation, and a lot of good representation from the industry, a lot of master distillers, a lot of good people that are out involved in the operational areas for a lot of the distilleries here in Kentucky. So I really love that. Yeah, you could. If, I live here in Louisville, so I, I will say, if, if you want to do something bourbon-related where there's a master distiller, you can do it pretty much every weekend in Louisville. It just—it's always happening. A dinner, some sort of charity event, something. This one, the Bourbon Affair, and a couple other ones, um, just seem to be like the big things where people like dress up and they—they they make sure that like 
we're always going to have our master distiller available on this this weekend. We're always going to be there. We're always going to have a table, and we're and they're not sending their B teams. They send you know, th- this is one of the events that you should come to. Um, I'm really looking forward to tonight. But before we really get into so, the main event, there was another event that happened this week that I don't think most of us got to, except for Pops, and that was a release of a 45 year old <laughs> bourbon. Yes, indeed. Tell us how awesome that was. Um, let's All just say, um, happy to be there. Uh, <laughs> experience of a lifetime. And I'll be perfectly honest, uh, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. I think I said it was garbage. Hyper sweet on the, on, on, on the, on the front, um, followed by um, a wave of super oaky tannins like being chewing on a wet log. Rotting canoe. Um, and I think there was, a, I said there was a touch of sadness. <laughs> You know, you guys were all together doing the tour. I went on a series of media events um, for the bulk of this week. He and was on the real bus. The yeah. real bus. Well, mm. you know, um, <laughs> next year I'll go with you guys. <laughs> um, but we, we stopped at Michter's, and they gave us a great tour, great tasting. Rolled out about 11 different whiskeys to try at the end of the, the trip. And one of them was their 25. And I've had the 20. Their 20 is one of my favorites in the last couple of years that came out. Not because I can afford to buy a bottle, but because someone else did. And I tried the 25, and it tipped the scales. It went oak. Um, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. Not, I don't like that super oaky. So it's, once again, people get excited about yeah. it because it's five more years. Yeah. You know, if there's an inflection point for everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Those five more years only matter on the label. I'm still giving else. I'm still giving tours at uh, at New Riff. That's one of my like side jobs that I still do, just because I, I really love giving tours. And I take it as my own personal exa- a chance to try and educate the general public a little bit more about bourbon and whiskey. And that's one of the things I always talk about, is that everyone always thinks, as the general public, that the older the better, that that's always what works. But um, I, I, I always add that into my tours, even though it's not on my script. Just this is the difference between bourbon and scotch. This is why scotch has to be a little bit older. This is why bourbon ages a little bit faster. You got to understand that difference because, yeah. You By a little bit, you mean a shh. A lot <laughs> faster. Sorry, and, I censor myself. And as the World Whiskey's uh, writer here, I would say, yeah, drink the 25-year-old scotch, not the 25-year-old bourbon. Without exactly. Doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. So there, there are bourbons, uh, and Heaven Hill's a great example because they, they, a couple of years ago they took the 12-age statement off the Elijah Craig. Their yeah. stuff should not be aged yeah. past 12 years. People go nuts over the 18-year Elijah Craig, the 21 or whatever the other ones they've yeah. done, the 23-year-old Evan Williams. It gets successively worse after 12 years. Their juice should stop aging at about 12 years. About. Yeah. The 9 to 12-year range is kind of the ideal place for them. The va- Look, the vast majority of bourbon, if you ask any of the master distillers, uh, Jimmy Russell, Jim Rutledge, whoever, Six to nine years is, is so the the things that can age past that are such a minuscule part of our inventory, and they're typically and you've got to th- you've got to talk about tiers. Where is that barrel aging? The lower the tier, the cooler the the, the aging process. It picks up less wood. So you know I've I've done a lot of barrel selections and I've over the years and I've seen. Uh, the last two or three times we've done barrel selections they've picked the youngest whiskey but it was the darkest because it was a tier six for us so that's that is a huge deal so i'm gonna i'll shut it up from there so we're gonna take a break here for our sponsors and uh, when we come back we're gonna talk a little bit about the bourbon industry in general a little less about the uh, bourbon classic this weekend now we're gonna talk a little bit about the future we've talked about the past a lot uh, especially the recent past 
But I want to talk a little bit about bourbon. So 2017 what? in American whiskey, uh, whiskey advocate named Elijah Craig batch uh, barrel proof batch B five one seven as their whiskey of the year. Um, when it came out. Uh, Modern Thirst and a lot of other places said this is the best Elijah Craig that's come out in a long time and there's no doubt about that Whiskey Advocate well there is doubt about that you, you're certainly <laughs> welcome to argue that a lot of places said it was great the difference was that this year Whiskey Advocate named it the Whiskey of the Year and I kind of stepped back from that and said really? I, I didn't say it was the best whiskey I've had this year I didn't say it was phenomenal I just said it was the best that they've done for Elijah Craig Barrel Proof in a while in at least in a while, but in, in, a, in, in whatever you could remember in the, in the recent past. Um, my issue with it was it started a big discussion on social media of what was the whiskey of the year for 2017, what really stood out. And what really kind of stood out to us is that maybe some private barrel picks were the best things, but there seemed to be kind of a fall off from 2016 where there was a lot of really innovative product hitting the market. Is that is it innovative picking a barrel? Innovative picking a barrel. Yeah, a yeah. yawn. Yeah. Innovative, innovative barrel picking, I think you should call it. But I, I kind of felt like Habits in a lot are like those things everybody has. I mean, so I don't think you can just pick one 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 person's or one store's or one selection and call it the best You're of right. anything no. because there should there no, should no be way. a separate it's ridiculous for, for single barrel picks should have a completely yeah. separate regardless i felt like 2017 when when i kind of posed the question to other people on social media and other writers we had a really hard time coming up with not just finding what the whiskey of the year was but what stood out to us in 2017 and we had a really hard time even mm. coming up with nominees for it and it kind of came back to us yeah, I guess B five one seven was all right. Yeah, yeah. I remember an email that good old boy Mike sent out saying, "Hey, what's y'all's picks for best whiskey of the year?" And it was crickets. It yeah. Indeed, I mean, we ended up picking Indeed. up uh, Kentucky Al Rye as uh, you know uh, one of the six products that we named. But Did even if you, even if you look at the other you know four or five, uh, you know we we named in that. I mean, they were just you know annual releases of you know some other really great products uh four roses limited edition you know 2017 was on the list so i don't um, think four roses ever put out a limited edition that wasn't really good just there's some years that just like explode when you when you when you drink them they explode on the palate and there's some years that are just like oh this is pretty good I thought this Real year was pretty excellent, else. but it was a little overshadowed by the Al Young release, too. Yeah, and, and personally, it, it all depends on your personal taste. I understand why people like the Al Young, but that 23-year-old, particularly if you just opened a bottle fresh and started, once the Al Young sat and got some air to it, that the woodiness oh, kind of dissipated. And rye. And I just liked the uh, limited edition uh, small batch better for me. Uh, because it, it, I'm more of a sugar daddy caramel guy, and it didn't have that older whiskey. I thought you were just my sugar daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's my sugar daddy. Everyone in the it was on Thursday. Everyone in the blogosphere is talking about the single barrel picks in 2017 and being the big thing of 2018. But when you think about it, um, you're going to have uh, most bourbon drinkers are going to buy two bottles of that, and you're going to have a hundred people who are going to get that specific barrel Absolutely. of whiskey. Well, so why even, spend why spend so much time talking about it? That's not even fair because you could find a single barrel pick of anything that could be the whiskey of the year, just depending on whether you happen to find that one just 
cherry barrel of buffalo standard yeah, but that's buffalo not the trays. art of making that whiskey the that art is count. blending it and putting right. it out in a batch that everybody gets to have 100 percent. Just, just remember bill yeah. your barrel pick was someone else's rejected barrel pick right oh. exactly and, and my I barrel mean, pick was the mm-hmm. best barrel pick that's ever been done <laughs> for that for I mean, that it month used to, it used to be barrel picks were exciting because people had access to things that no one else was getting so now that it's ubiquitous, and now they're it, winners it, it, and losers, right? And and true, barrel picks are when you go to a bar. I mean, I go for their barrel picks because I want something Indeed. a little bit, a little bit different, mm-hmm. and that's the trend. But as you're saying, you know, yawn. Well, know, it's going to get old real fast. So what's next? Well, Everybody knows that, like even the small guys are getting on the barrel picks now. Like there's right. they're the craft, you know, small distilleries are doing. You can do a single barrel pick of that, and well. Like, I, I think uh, the the I'm going to jump all over this and say uh, I think the word I would use about this uh, trend is uh, it's distracting. Um, I think it's distracting for the consumer. I think it's distracting for the distillery. I think it is time consuming and not adding value in the retail channel. And I would really like, uh, especially for I think retailers would argue with you all day. Right. I, I, yeah, I think they would. I would for like. Sure. I would like the producers getting back to driving the taste profile for their products. And I can think of a few products where you the taste profile has become so fragmented between the the single barrel pick program and their master distiller blend. That you you're not really quite sure what's in the bottle. You well, know, I've got to say this: the, the this high end bourbon business is it is becoming very much like the wine business. Y'all are drinking everything where traditionally the old school thank you marketing was. <laughs> you're welcome. Well, we're we drinking all of it. Don't get a free T-shirt. A challenge. All of it. Well, it, it's you know back in the day your your father was drinking uh, Jim Beam or or whatever, and that's the only thing he drank. I think and it's, you meant it's, yellow, um, yellow, label, yellow label. Yellow label. Uh, <laughs> that's what, they, what grandfathers were drinking. And well, my yeah, my grandmother more more so. Um, so it, it's a completely different attitude and mindset. People, it's it's become the wine business. It's very very fragmented. You're 100 percent right with that. I have a thought on that, and Wes, maybe you chime in here because I think America is one of the few places that put all this emphasis on the distiller. In Scotland and Ireland, it's on the blender, and the blender is what's is who's the guy that's making it taste what it's supposed to taste like. And now we're like, oh no, we all want our own special thing. Well, yeah, no, it's, uh, people. People want to create their own taste. So I think it's that everyone's so excited about bourbon. They they want to be able to have like that little bit of ownership, that little bit of thing that says, I'm connected to this. I made this. I pick that. And if I'm buying the bottle, I want something that someone else can't have. I can't find Pappy, therefore, but I can have a single barrel of... Carrie Ann, you you talk about, you know, I'm a historian by training. Uh, I would say a lot of that comes back to just this American individuality. Mm -hmm. It carries over into our bourbon and our whiskey where we want to have something this unique and have something that's uniquely mine, that this is my bottle from this barrel or whatever, and I picked it. That is not the case in Scotland. They're yeah. trying to make something that, in my opinion, is there, there's more, I would say there, um, you may disagree with this, I'd say there's more history. They're trying to keep some, a tradition yeah. from that whiskey And that's going. the harder job than going and picking a barrel that tastes totally like nothing that you've but, ever tasted. Like but but y'all, are, y'all are completely discounting the single malt market, the single malt's availability. Back when I started in the business, you had Glenn Fittick, Glenn Levitt, and 
maybe one other one. Doers. <laughs> well, I've blended. That's blended. So if you Roy, look at the, I just threw up a little. If you look at the amount of the the single malt scotch scotches that are available today, the same thing's going on with that as well. But wow. it's still a speck in their inventory of what they're doing. It's still majority blended. Right. But where is that market? Uh, skyrocketing in the United States. Do you think that has yeah. more to do with like the cultural differences as far as the importance of individuality in the United States versus... Uh, so I used to live in, in, in England for a little bit while. Yeah, and it was like I was always surprised when I was in England, you know, how... Confor- not, I don't want to say conformist, but just to my American eyes, it seemed like everyone was kind of listening to the same music, kind of wearing the same style of clothes. Like there's there such a small... Hmm variety of like television channels to listen to oh i think it'd make a great dissertation i th- I, I agree <laughs> i think american i think american some other markets have driven that single malt growth uh, from scotland and other areas china for sure and uh, you know I, I always have this argument with people is you know we're all big whiskey drinkers right we know a lot right and we are in terms of growth, <laughs> deep thoughts, I know, thank you. Um, we are such a small part of the market. I mean, when you look at the growth and you look at all the scaling that's being done by all the distilleries, we're, 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 the, kind of, we're the noisy minority, right, about this thing. So all the growth, all the just, the, the big growth is not worried about the single barrel picks. They're not worried about that individuality. So I always try to balance the conversation about what we want as the whiskey geeks, bourbon nerds, whatever, exactly. versus where they're selling the volume. And they have to balance that, which is hard. It is, yeah. And, but, I, but to the other side, I look at where does innovation come into the U.S. market. And for me, it's the craft. It's the blending. It's the people who are willing to say, I don't need the taste like this. I'm going to create a forge a new path. That's what gets me excited. So is the future of America, this, this is something that I've been struggling with for a while. Is the future of American whiskey craft distilleries who are trying to replicate what the big distilleries do? No. Or should no. the craft no. distilleries be out there saying, I'm going to find a new mash bill. I'm going to do a single malt. I'm going to do something they really They need to be unique. their own man, own they women. They need to own it. Own it, yeah. yeah. I think Absolutely. craft distilleries are really driving innovation. And the big distilleries <laughs> are picking Texas. up on... On trying to kind of mimic what craft is doing, not the other way around. Not craft us. is really dri- <laughs> is really driving this whole movement of being innovative and making something a little different. I say boring in Japanese, Dan. <laughs> and, and, and I would ar- I would argue that we need to create an American single malt category. I mean, a lot of those those craft distilleries, that's the area where they're going to make their name. They're not going to compete with the Four Roses, the Jim Beams, and the others, but they're going to make a name in something that is uniquely Colorado. Until they get bought by one of Or, as Justin Timberlake would say, you know, Montana whiskey or something. (laughs) That Blanton's Uh, Montana whiskey? (laughs) So, not to interrupt everyone here, but we don't have a lot of time left on this podcast, but I want to go around the table and I want to say everyone's tasted a lot of stuff this weekend. I want everyone to name what is the favorite thing you've tasted and what is the worst thing you've tasted this weekend. And you've got to be specific on the brand here. So we're going to throw some people under the bus. The bus. (laughs) Speaking of the bus, I just want to give a quick shout out to David at Oak Barrel Tours. He's a new company here in Louisville doing um, a great little tour and service and just another option for your transportation needs and he drove our awesome. sorry asses around on thursday he was fantastic fantastic uh, he was overqualified the bus was really pretty before we were on it yes y'all get what's left he, he did a great job it was a good time and i highly recommend him oakbarreltours.com so let's start with matt here what's the best thing you had this weekend it might be this um, barrel proof right I'm drinking right now, or I did. This is or I the C nine one seven. Is that what we said? 
And I picked yes. up one of these at the gift shop Elijah as well. Craig Barrel Proof C917 that is now empty. I don't know if I would have had a worst Did, until this morning where I decided to take off of your bar that uh, <laughs> Winchester. I was like, I need to know, understand how bad this is. Terrible man. Terrapure, it was a Terrapure Winchester Extra Smooth. If you look on ModernThirst.com, it is the lowest ranking whiskey we have ever reviewed. That Terrapure system. Oh, terrible. Super fast Dan. and extra can, aging. Can you take part in this? Great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain. Dan, I, I, it, Dan look, abstains. Well, I, I, look, I don't have a great palate, so nobody needs to take my lead on if, what if anything is, is good or emoji bad. Emoji eye roll. Someone I completely understand. I didn't mean to throw anyone under the bus on that. But if, if anyone has anything awesome that they want to point out that they tasted, feel free. Well, I, I, well we it, didn't talk about what we drink at Luxro. Well, I, I was going to mention that. Was that was pretty fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've not tasted hey. that before. I've really liked the, the, yeah, that the stuff just because I've not I had it before. Really, so, really like the number four that's still coming out. Yes, it hasn't come out yet. <laughs> so carry in. It's coming. Tell coming. us about you. You have some opinions here. Yeah. So y'all help me out on the memory. So <laughs> the pack four is toasted, finished in and a barrel that it the char has been removed. They refurbished the barrel, so they scraped out. out the inside of it, recharred it, and then <laughs> they re-aged it. it. Toasted. it. Toasted. There's sorry, no char in the second. Toasted. Anyway, it was yeah. delicious. I toast really enjoyed finish. it. it like it's that. the Thanks, first John. blood oath that I thought <laughs> is really worth the retail price. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I love that That's one. pretty I like good. It. I, it'll be interesting how the branding concept of the blood oath line uh, will play into something that's really quite good in that line because uh you and i were chatting about the first two versions first pack of one and two and it's like yeah oh. they're fine yeah. if, if they weren't charging 90 to 100 bucks, yeah the value proposition was awesome that's what he said they want to keep improving it and they they have yeah I, I i've always been a big fan of what john does john rempe um he, he's really an enthusiast who happens to have become very good at, at blending and, and and happens to have been involved with this and and i think it's Fantastic! If, if my life could be different, I would be like, how can I become a guy who just makes the bourbons? Mm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so Blood I, Oath 4. Yeah, I really did enjoy that. By and far the blood, best yeah. one I've had. This weekend? Mm-hmm. Or of the pack uh, just series? Of the, yeah. of the Blood Oaths, it's by far the best. I, I'm on board. I did uh, love that, that Elijah Craig. That was delicious. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. I want to say last night at, at Milkwood, I had the, the Four Roses small batch, and that was a bourbon that I drank all the time when I first got into bourbon, like, you know, many years ago. It was sort of my go-to, and I would talk about it all the time. But as you get into bourbon, you start trying other things. You kind of forget about the things that you that you love that you brought into it. I really enjoyed drinking the Four Roses small batch last night and kind of getting back into that and going like, oh, yeah, like this is what got me into bourbon in the first place. So it was great. Uh, for two that you can get, I would say the Elijah Craig C- C917 Barrel Proof is amazing. Uh, I really like the Rebel Yell 10-year-old single barrel. I thought that was fantastic. And being the Scotch guy, I've only had two or three Scotches this week being in Louisville, but I would say for a... They have a, Scotch here? <laughs> no, but Bill had some in his house. Oh. Uh, if you're looking at a uh, low-cost uh, sherried uh, whiskey, Glengoyne 10-year-old, go out and chase it. I can't really argue with what, what, with what anyone said tonight. Um, we had a 13-year Willet pick, and then Mike actually brought two of my my more favorite uh, whiskeys that I had this week, and he brought the uh, the Four Roses pick, and he also brought the 14-year Willet. 
Um, both of those were in probably my top five or six of, of the weekend. Um, we had a blend straight from the barrel that I really enjoyed, but it was mine. And I think everyone meant to say that that was their favorite, but yes. they, they kind of forgot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the 13 year Willet that, that was at the Wednesday night tasting in my house that no one here brought was my probably favorite. My favorite Willet thing. is the one we got this morning. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was very, I heard it was very light on the palate. Yeah. It was pretty light. Yeah. Yes. It's called Ether. They just turned mm-hmm. the lights out on that us. Means, wow, they're that saying that this yeah. is the end. Yeah, yeah. time. So, so I want to thank everyone for joining us. Um, this has been a great weekend. I want to thank again. I want to thank uh, Dan for everything you've done for us uh, this weekend and, and and before this weekend. And I want to thank Mike for all of this. Uh, you, if you're not here, so no one can see actually all of the technical work that has gone into setting this up. It's not easy. Yeah. It, it, it's taken a lot of time, and, and he held a lot of equipment here. So thanks, Mike, again. Fantastic. And thanks, thanks to Bourbon Classic for hosting us. Thanks to the Bourbon Classic and Michelle so. uh, from, from FSA. Uh, FSA. It's a great yeah. event. You should come. Yeah, and, and everyone should make, uh, make this one of your destination bourbon events of the year. But thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, cheers, and have a great, uh, great 2018. Cheers. 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 We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sip, Suds, and Smokes, and you can catch all of our episodes online as well on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, PRX, and Spreaker, our native media host. The easiest way to enjoy the show on your phone is to simply ask Siri, Alexa, or Google. Odessa, play podcast Sip, Suds, and Smokes. We love your feedback, and you can reach us online at info at sipsudsandsmokes.com. Our daily tasting notes flow out on Twitter every day. Our handle on Twitter is at sipsudsmoke, and our Facebook page is always buzzing with lots of news. You'll be able to interact with the thousands of other fans on those social media platforms. Do us a favor and take the time to rate this episode if you're listening to us online. That's a great big help to us, and we get to see your feedback as well. Well, this is good old boy Mike asking you to come back, join us once again, and I'll ask you to keep on sipping. been a one tan hand production of sip suds and smokes a program devoted to the appreciation of some of the finer slices of life from the dude in the basement studios your host the good old boys will see you all next time